It's a critical balance. Um, that's the name of it if you want a name for it. Um, and I'm going to review a little bit about what we talked about last week. In John's Gospel, we saw that Jesus was a safe person, someone whom people were drawn to, someone whom people trusted, someone who invited others to come into his life, like his 12 disciples, someone who listened and understood when others shared, someone who accepted other people regardless. And so the verse we were using last week is in John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And out of that verse, we saw the three main features of a safe person, because Jesus was a safe person. Number one, he dwelt among us, so he connected with people. He embraced people. He engaged with people. That's different than just being with people. So Jesus was a safe person because he dwelt among us. He connected, he engaged, he embraced, which is more than just hanging around people. Secondly, he was full of grace, which we saw last week was that he lived and treated people with dignity and respect, regardless. And then thirdly, he was established and rooted in God's truth, and therefore he could speak truth in love. Those are the three things that made Jesus safe. That's what the Lord wants from us as well, because he wants us to become safe people. He wants us to be people who build safe relationships where spiritual conversations can be real, spiritual conversations can be relevant. Most Christians are not safe people. But he wants us to be people who build safe relationships. And to do that means we need to connect with people, uh, embrace, engage, not just be with them. We need to be treating people graciously, full of grace. And we also need to be established and rooted in truth so that when we speak, we're speaking Bible without using the quotes. Right? We established last week that a safe person in our life would, like Jesus, do three things. And these are the three things that God wants us to do as safe people. Number one, a safe person draws us closer to God. A safe person will draw you closer to others. It will not try to isolate you from other people so that you have to be the only one that they're relating to. And then thirdly, a safe person will help you become the real person God created you to be. Sorry, number one, draws closer to God, draws closer to others. So relationships are not exclusive, they're inclusive. And then thirdly, help us to become the real person God created us to be. I just summarized last week's teaching. When that happens, then we fulfill the greatest commission, the great commission and the greatest commandment. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 22. 
We need to go to the verses, please. Matthew 22, the greatest commandment and the great commandment. You know all these verses. So if we're a safe person, then these things will happen through us and we will then fulfill the words of Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment, and the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. So safe people will fulfill those commandments. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. So uh, so the key, and we didn't talk about this last week, the key to all of this is the foundation upon which is, this is all built. And it's all built on love. And that's what we want to talk about. Christian faith is all about relationships. Uh, your relationship with God, your relationship with other believers, your relationship with non-believers. The Bible teaches us that God is love, 1 John 4, 8. That's a verse you should underline. And that he wanted a love relationship with every one of us, the human race. And that he created and related to Adam and Eve each and every day in the cool of the evening because that was his way of relating to them. He would walk with them through the garden. And then Adam and Eve, as we know, sinned and broke the relationship because Isaiah 59 Verses 1 and 2 says, sin separates you from God. So Adam and Eve's sin separated them in their relationship with God. God still loved them, but even while we're separated from him by our sin, he still loves us, and he looked away for a way to reestablish the relationship. And you all know this. Romans chapter 5. Go there, please. Sorry, Humor me. What was the Isaiah one? 59, 1 and 2. Thank you. Romans chapter 5, God looked for a way to reestablish the relationship with us because Adam and Eve destroyed the relationship with us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God wants to share himself with people. And he wants us to choose by our own free will to love him in return. And when we do that, we build the relationship with him. And when we experience our conversion to Christ, not just a decision for Christ, he gives us the supernatural ability to have that relationship. Christian faith is all about relationships. The first part of it is our relationship with him. So in Romans 6, you know these verses, verse 23, the gift of God is eternal life. And the definition of eternal life is found in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that you may know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And the word know there means to have an intimate, personal love relationship with God. So the Christian faith is all about relationships. Our relationship with God, who is love, and we love him back because he first 
loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. On our own, we cannot love God. We are selfish, self-contained, egotistical, arrogant, rude, crude, and socially unacceptable, period. And so when we get saved, God pours his love into us. I think that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Holy Spirit and God's love is poured into us, and so now we can take that love and return it to him. So it's not something a natural person can do. It's a supernatural person does that. And in our relationship with each other is also based on that love. That's the foundation, and I want us to go there. 1 John chapter 4, first letter of John chapter 4. So we have this relationship with God, and we can love him because he first loved us. You've got to learn how to love yourself, and you're going to change because when you're with God, somebody's going to change, and he doesn't. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So we can't just, it's not just Jesus and me. Me in my small corner and you in yours, as the stupid Sunday school song says. So by the way, the second song we sang tonight is a John Wesley hymn from the 17, 1600s, 1700s. Pretty good stuff. Okay, so loving each other is not an option. There are 59 one another verses in the New Testament that you cannot fulfill if you're not in relationship with other believers. So 59 commandments that you cannot fulfill if you're not in a personal and decent relationship with other believers. Okay, you're in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoa. Let me give it to you in the Passion Translation. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred towards another believer. That makes him a phony, because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you treat truly love God whom you can't see? For he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. Love is our motivation to go into all the world and make disciples. Love is our motivation to pray for the salvation of people. John 14, 19, if you love me, you will obey me. So even our motivation, we don't have an evangelism problem or a witnessing problem. We have a love problem. If you love me, you will obey me. And uh, this is a version you don't usually use. So this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. You can look it up later. It's in the Living Bible. May the Lord make your love to grow and overflow to each other, believer to believer, that's my words, and to everyone else, believer to non-believer. So our love is to grow and overflow. Another version says, and splash out on everybody. <laughs> okay, so the foundation to all that we're talking about being safe is simply love. If your motivation is anything but love, there's something that's out of kilter, and it won't work. Okay, so let's review. God is love. God loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. We love God because 
He first loved us. He commands us then to take that love and love each other as believers, and that that love should be so big, so strong, that it overflows to those who don't know him yet. So that love is the foundation upon which everything else is built. It should be your motivation. It should be the only agenda we have. God, God sent his son to dwell with us, to be among us. He came to relate to us, to build relationships. He became one of us so he could relate to us. He could have just been God and boomed his voice over the universe, but he wanted to relate to us, so he became one of us. And he connected with people. That's the key. Read the Gospels if you want to get to know Jesus better. He was present with people. Um, often we're with people, but we're not present with them. We're not focused on what they're saying. We're not focused on what they're feeling. Um, Jesus focused on what they were saying, what they were needing. In fact, he even saw past their needs and saw that God loved them. And often we stop with the need and we don't see what God sees. He encountered people. He related to people. He engaged with people. He embraced them and their circumstances. He responded to people. He responded to what was said because he listened to their heart. Something you notice, I notice. He didn't switch to the gospel. He lived it. He didn't speak it. He didn't switch to his own situation, which is what we often do. We turn conversations around. We're really good at that. He didn't fix people. He didn't chase people. And he didn't quote the Bible when dealing one-on-one -on -one with people. All the things we do, he never did. He just lived the love. Okay? So that's what love does. Love connects. Love embraces. Love engages. Love responds, and love is released. And when Jesus saw people, he knew, people knew that they were loved. And that's what drew people to him. So Jesus came and dwelt among us. And that means his presence. He belonged. He was one of us. He connected to us. He identified with us. And for the people he encountered and who received him, they received love. Because God is love. Jesus is God. And their task was then to release that love to others so they would be impacted by it, which is reaching the lost. And they were doing that by dwelling. You all live in a neighborhood. Whether you dwell in the neighborhood is another thing. Are you connecting with the people? Are you engaging with the people? Are you embracing the people? Are you responding to the people? Because when we do, then the law and the prophets are fulfilled. We are then loving God with our whole heart because he first loved us. We're loving ourselves because God loves us. It's helping us become somebody. And we love others, sharing the love. So I'm going to repeat. A safe person in our life draws you closer to God, draws you closer to others, and helps you become the real person God created you to be. So when you are a safe person, like Jesus was a safe person, you will draw people closer to God. You will draw people closer to other people. You will network people, relate people, and you will help those people become the real person God created them to be.
Wow. So now there are three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, so pursue. Three out of three. Yep. (laughs) So the key is that we need to encounter him and his love and become born again. And then the other key is we need to experience him on a regular basis. Many, many believers encountered God somewhere, somehow, and became believers. And then that was it. They don't move forward because they're not experiencing God in their life on a regular basis. So we need to receive his love, embrace it, engage with it, walk in it, and we need to release it. It's not something we just get and enjoy. You know, so there's a church that I relate to. Their theme is walk in love and give it away. Okay, so here's the problem. Many believers intellectually know they're loved because the Bible tells them they are. Many believers have not encountered God's love, have not experienced God's love, and they're not experiencing it on a regular basis. And many believers then, because of that, are unable to love God. They don't love themselves and others because they've not been loved. You cannot give away what you have not experienced. You cannot give away what you don't have. And so this is more than a head thing, which is the biggest problem we have right now in the world. And the Christian faith is that we know this stuff, but we don't experience this stuff. Okay, so let me give you an example. And you can listen carefully because I'm going to do it two or three different ways. You can enter a room. So I'm going to call that room worship. You came here tonight and we had worship. People are singing, people raising their hands, whatever. But just because you're there doesn't mean that you've worshipped. You have to embrace the worship. You have to engage in the worship. You have to respond to the words uh, that are on the screen with your heart. You need to connect with the Lord in your heart as you worship. You need to join the others who are worshiping. Because just because you're in a room that has got worship doesn't mean you are worshiping. Let me give you a different example. You might say that you're friends with this certain person. So you've entered a room called marked friendship. But have you embraced the friendship? Have you engaged the friendship? Are you there for the person? Are you dwelling with them? Are you present with them? Are you listening with your heart? Is this friend the focus or are you your focus? Do you respond to what is being shared? Are you investing in the relationship, the friendship? Or have you just entered a room called friendship and now you think you're friends? Third way to say the same thing. Because you're a Christian does not mean you are encountering and experiencing the love of God, either directly from God or through other people that you're in relationships with. You can encounter and experience his love, but it's not automatic. You need to open up and let him love you on his terms. If you have an agenda, if you have your walls up, if you know what you want and you want nothing but that, 
then you will not know God's love. You need to receive his love. You need to engage with his love. You need to embrace his love. You need to respond to his love. You need to walk in his love. And then you need to give his love away by loving others. Just because you walk in a room called love, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean you're engaged in it, doesn't mean you're embracing it. And then out of your encounter, out of your experience of his love, then you can walk in grace and then you can walk in truth. And we talked about those two briefly last week. Love is the foundation and then grace and truth are built upon that foundation. If you don't have that foundation, then you will not succeed in walking in grace and truth like Jesus did. Okay, so the Bible says Jesus was full of grace. So I want to talk about grace and I want to talk about truth. Remember, the foundation is your love. Encounter. Just because you're in the room doesn't mean you've encountered it. You receive grace just the same way you received love. It's a gift. You don't deserve it and you didn't need to... Uh, earn it, but you need to receive it. And when you were born again, you received grace without even knowing it, because that's how you got born again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. All by God. Right. So grace means that you are unconditionally loved. I know we have all sorts of things about grace. Grace simply means God loves you unconditionally. Saved, unsaved, stupid or smart, dumb, whatever. He loves you. And he accepts you just as you are, by grace. And he forgives you totally, by grace. You don't deserve any of that, and you didn't earn it. But if you didn't receive it, you're not walking in it. When you receive grace, you have to do it every day. You have to sit back down and think, gee, grace. If you have guilt, you're not walking in grace. If you feel condemned by people, other Christians, the church, God, you're not walking in grace. If you're walking in grace, you never feel guilty. You may feel convicted, but you won't feel guilty, and you'll never feel condemned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You will not have to prove yourself to God or to other people. And a lot of us are still trying to prove something to someone somewhere. We would be comfortable in who you are and where you're at. If you're walking in grace, you're not angry at yourself. You're not impatient. Yes, you need to change. If you don't know what, ask me later. Because um, we all need to change. But if you're impatient with that, you're not walking in grace. And if you're still doing things to earn his acceptance, to earn his love by what you're doing, you're not walking in grace. Well, I'm a Christian, so I have to read my Bible every day. I should pray every day. I should pray in tongues every day. I need to worship. I need to, I need to, I need to. You have a performance religion. You don't have grace. And a lot of born-again believers, all they did was switch religions. They went from a mainline denomination to a born-again religion. They're still trying to earn something. You don't have to. It's all by grace. And then when you are walking in grace, then you can relate to others with grace. I'm sorry, but I don't know very many gracious Christians. 
If you're walking in grace, then you are gracious. You love everybody regardless. You forgive them when they hurt you. You accept them as they are. You don't judge them. You don't criticize them. You don't reject them. You don't roll your eyes back. You don't, you know, make those facial expressions. You treat them with dignity. You treat them with respect regardless. Grace is that practical. People who are not believers can tell if you're walking in grace. And you can't walk in grace if you don't receive it every day for yourself. If it doesn't work at home, don't export it. So we need to be continually receiving and embracing his grace. And if, I'm honest, if most of us looked and examined our life and looked at ourselves honestly, we still have performance inside there. We still do. We have a performance-based religion or a works religion. 2 Timothy 3.5, you know the verse, having the appearance of godliness, denying the life-changing power. So Jesus lived grace. Jesus knew he was loved unconditionally by the Father, and Jesus treated every person with grace because people around him knew they were loved, accepted, and forgiven. He was safe. Okay, Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth, and you need both. If all you have is grace, that means you will have no standards and no boundaries, and you will have sloppy agape. God's love is strong. God's love is specific. It is very, um, it's not rules-oriented, but it has standards, it has boundaries, and if you have all grace and no truth, then you have sloppy agape. You have a powerless love, which is really not love at all. And you won't speak the truth in love because you're so gracious. You wouldn't tell people the truth because it might hurt them. All truth and no grace means you're legalistic and vicious. And vicious. You have self-imposed rules and traditions and you have rules and traditions you impose upon others. So we need to balance out, and this is the critical balance I'm aiming at in the teaching, you need to balance out grace and truth in your life, just like Jesus did. And I'm going to state the obvious. To live by the truth, you need to be in the truth. The word of God is the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, my words are truth. So to live by the truth, you need to have the truth. And to have the truth, you need to know your Bible. And that means letting the Word of God speak to us and minister to us. Listen carefully. We read the Bible for the wrong reasons. We're looking for proof texts to back up our latest ideas. We're looking for ways to justify our lifestyles or our interpersonal behavior. We're not looking for the next, we should not be looking for the next promise that we want to receive and claim. And we're not looking for God to back up our latest God said. I cringe when people say God said, God told me. I really cringe because you almost know they're going to go find some proof text from the Old Testament to back up what they think God just said. Instead of, 
in relationships with other believers saying, do you think God said that? What do you feel about that? And getting some input. We just do our thing because God said. (sighs) That's really troublesome because that's not living out the Christian faith in relationships. And the Christian faith is all about relationships. So we need to learn how to read the word without a personal agenda. And when we do that, it will change us forever. We need to let the word of God enter our hearts and change our lives from the inside out. Many believers read the word, but they don't really believe the word. They're just justifying their own choices and their own lifestyle. So here's my truth. Here's what I learned a long time ago. You only believe what you've applied. If you've taken the word and embraced what God said and received it and embraced it and applied it, then you believe it. Other than that, you don't believe it. So if you don't go into all the world and make disciples, you don't believe it. If you don't love your neighbor as you love yourself, you don't believe it. Let me tell you how God showed me that. I was literally sitting in my office upstairs, and I was reading Matthew 28, and I heard God quietly in my own heart say, you don't believe that. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, no, you don't. And this went on for a little while, and then I realized, hey, if you're going to fight, you're going to lose. So I said, all right, I don't believe it. What don't I believe? And he said, you don't believe that you're to go into all the world and make disciples. And I said, yes, I do. I believe that. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, all right, I don't. Why don't I? And he said, because you don't have a passport. You can't go into all the world without a passport. So I applied for a passport, and I got it. And I got an attitude with it. And I can remember sitting in the chair upstairs in my office and holding it up and saying, God, I got a passport. See? Got a passport. See, I got a passport. But I live in the pimple on the prairie. Nobody knows I exist. I plant churches in small little towns. I've never written a book. I'm not on radio. I'm not on television. But I got a passport. And the next morning, I received a phone call from Ukraine asking me if I would come and teach at a youth camp from somebody who I didn't know and had never met. And I heard God quietly say, you got a passport. (laughs) If you don't receive what God has said and don't embrace it and engage with it, you don't believe it. It's that simple. Only the applied truth of God's word changes us. You can know the word of God back and forwards and it doesn't change you unless you apply it. And that's why most believers are not changing or growing or maturing. Or as 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7 says, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So, like love, grace, and truth, we need to embrace it, experience it, Because God's word is spirit and it is life. And once we've embraced it, engaged with it, applied it, lived it, that's more than know it and read it. Then we can share the word with others in love. Then we can speak the truth 
in love. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And then we can pray for the sick and then we heal. That's right, because you'll know the truth. So grace and truth can only become the norm in our lives as we relate to other people and receive feedback and input from them. Listen, you will never know the fullness of God's grace, nor will you know the fullness of God's truth if you're just you. But if you can build decent, open, transparent, and honest relationships with other believers, then truth and grace become reality. Does my dog come? Nope. Your dog does not count. Because your dog will not speak truth. Your dog will just love you. <laughs> that's, that, and that's a good question. My dog loves me unconditionally, but he does not speak grace and truth into my life. Okay? So even here, we need to engage with each other on a level that allows grace and truth to do what needs what it needs to do and what it does very well. So when we understand all this truth, which I haven't explained that well, um, then we're better prepared to dwell with people, like Jesus came and dwelt with us. Then we're able to engage and embrace people and their life situations. Then we will not stand back separated from people. Then we can treat them with grace, being gracious in our interactions with them, treating them with dignity and respect. Then we can love them, accepting them as they are and forgiving them totally. And then, listen, then you have the right to share the truth. Then you have the right to speak the truth in love. But you can't stand back from relationships and speak the truth in love because it won't be received. It'll be rejected. It's called criticism. Yeah, that's right. It will be seen as criticism. It will be seen as rejection. It will be seen as condemning them. But the way we're going to learn to do this is in here, because this is safe. It has to become safe. It may not be safe yet, but it has to become safe. Because if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. <laughs> Didn't see a word. Didn't see a word. Don't need to. Mom, your face today. Okay. So, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. That's the foundation. So pursue love, seek after it. Because God is love, but upon that love, we've got to find this grace and truth, balancing them out, because one without the other is not going to work. And we have to learn how to do both grace and truth in love. And then people will begin to notice us and take notice of what we believe. Then what we've got will be real, realistic, relevant, alive, active. Because right now... Our PR is terrible as churches around the world. So that's all I wrote.